Hey, 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 it's Casey with the Mogility Networks podcast and our co-host, Philip Tanner. About two weeks ago, we had a press release uh, for our Wi-Fi as a service for government. We do federal work. And one of the lessons I've learned from dealing with uh, federal clients and talking to people that are influencers in state and local government and IT personnel for state and local government is that there's a big gap in uh, Wi-Fi and Wi-Fi security capabilities with the in-house staff. And it's nothing against the in-house staff. It's just that a lot of these people are systems administrators and they're you know busy taking care of people's printers and email and, and the basic network functions and all that kind of stuff. And they just don't have the expertise, Wi-Fi networks and Wi-Fi security. And they don't have the budget to hire a wireless architect. And so between a very busy staff, lack of skills in the Wi-Fi realm, constrained budgets, uh, we've put together a Wi-Fi as a service for government program. And the reason it's not just Wi-Fi as a service and it's Wi-Fi as a service for government is because there's a lot of compliance issues that come about for government entities, whether it's even a city, municipalities, um, state governments and federal government. and you need a partner that knows how to navigate these things. Um, the state and local governments are making very good attempts in, in starting to adopt policies and procedures that are much closer to the high level of standards that the federal government has. And one example of that, Indiana's part of this, is there is now a state ramp, which they're modeling um, cloud procurement procedures very similar to the FedRAMP standard, which is cloud procurement for uh federal government, uh, you have to have the right security controls and things in place to sell a public cloud service to the federal government. And that program's called FedRAM. You have to be certified as a vendor and things like that. So what we've found is that there's not a lot of uh, integrators like us that have the expertise that are in Wi-Fi realms that are advertising to do Wi-Fi services that meet all these compliance challenges. And that's whether the Wi-Fi control is going to be in the cloud. And then you would need a FedRAMP certified service for that. And there is one available on the market right now that's FedRAMP certified, and that's Aruba Central. And we do Aruba Central. And that's Aruba's management platform that's in the cloud. And that's the only FedRAMP one right now. Now, you could still use other products and services, but we wind up and have to deploy them as a private cloud. And we do that now for one of our clients. We have a private um, Cisco cloud. And that's deployed in a FISMA compliant data center. And we have a local FISMA compliant partner in Lifeline data centers. And they also have FedRAMP infrastructure as a service. Well, real, real quick, FISMA. I'm not familiar with that. Um, it's a federal standard for information processing. Um, it's the right compliance controls and procedures. Um, you know, for example, things have to be what's what you'd call fenced. They have to have basically a secure perimeter around them. And to get into that uh, FISMA data center, it has to be by VPN, you know, trusted connection. So... It's just to make sure that your infrastructure in that data center is secure. It's not accessible from anywhere because you want it only accessible on a need basis. And so, but it, it goes into that. Um, they're not, the controls are not so different than some of the controls for, for financial and stuff like that. There's just a lot of different um, regulatory bodies and certification bodies. But for government, the the standard is, uh, is FISMA and FedRAMP for cloud services. And then following the NIST standards, which is, um, to define standards for things like cryptographic uh, modules and things like that. And so just to make sure that uh, your crypto's up to snuff and your auditing's up to snuff and your data center auditing's up to snuff 
And so there's a lot of things to consider, but by working with, with good partners and partners have experience at this, um, you know, it's not that hard to do. It's, there's some challenges, but with experience, it's not that hard to do. And some people, and I'll do a shout out to a partner, um, Lifeline Data Centers, uh, Rich Banta is the compliance king. Uh, there's probably not a smarter man around when it comes to federal compliance. And he's on the board for state ramp as an advisor. So he's, he's, he's the man when it comes to compliance. And then his business partner is uh, Alex. There you go. I was trying to remember Alex. So, and Alex is, is really, really smart too. So um, they have a lot of patented systems in their facilities that they've come up with. They're, they're really great people. But when we talk about the challenges in the realm of compliance, um, there's another one that's called a TAA. And that has to do with the source country for components and parts and things like that. And so basically to do TAA compliance and procure things in a TAA compliant way, you're not getting a hardware that's got a chip in it that's there by Huawei and the Chinese Communist Party. So, <laughs> so you know, and, um, you know that, that's, that's important because you don't want the hardware that you procure spying for some foreign entity or something like that. You were talking earlier about Aruba. You know, they've got one device that is on this approved list. How hard is it to well, to, to, to get approval? It is difficult because there's a financial expenditure on top of already having to have all your ducks in a row as far as the way that you do your system auditing, your system level security controls and things like that. But that product, Aruba Central, manages their whole line of Aruba access points. So that's a management um control plane for the access points. But if you're a federal agency or a state or local government that has lots of facilities, lots of buildings, it's a more cost effective way to centralize your management for all these locations. So it's uh, definitely something to be entertained. Um, it, I We have a good relationship with the Aruba federal rep so for our federal clients. And then uh, we have a good relationship with our normal Aruba rep. So even at state and local government level, if you want an Aruba solution, uh, we have the relationship in place to make sure you get what you need. There's other solutions that um, if you're not following a FedRAMP standard that are still good and just as secure. And we offer solutions that could be used for state and local government from um, Cisco and uh, Extreme Networks also. Extreme Networks has an awesome platform called Extreme Cloud IQ. Uh, that came about from their acquisition a few years ago of Arrowhive. Um, one of the key players at Arrowhive that now works for Extreme is uh, David Coleman. He's one of my favorite uh, Wi-Fi authors. He's a pretty brilliant guy. It has a good practical approach to design. There's there's lots of options for Wi-Fi deployment, but uh, you need a company that's experienced in sitting down and being able to look at your requirements for your network, what your security controls are, what what you need to meet all your standards, whether you adopted a FedRAMP standard or, or a NIST standard or something else. And you need a company that's experienced in that because, you know, you and I have both seen it. We see a lot of bad Wi-Fi. I've seen, I've seen banks that have just a WPA2 shared passcode that's only eight or 10 characters long. Easy to hack. Easy to hack. You're talking if it's not a super complex password, if it's using like dictionary words and stuff like that, you're talking somebody that's a, I'll say an ethical hacker instead of a bad guy, but if ethical hacker hacker was doing security penetration testing, they could crack that in under two minutes. Or just look at the whiteboard because the password's probably yeah, on the whiteboard. the password's written down. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, and there's a lot of compensating controls that need to be considered. And, and it's still the same type of controls we use for all of our clients. It's just that there's extra layers and extra controls 
when you're adopting like a FedRAMP standard because that cloud has to be certified that they're doing the right things to make sure that uh, your data on that cloud is safe and that the logging's appropriate to meet standards. It's not as intimidating as it sounds though. It's just you have to have partner with a company that's aware of the products that are available in the marketplace that's aware of the compliance standards that can work with your staff because almost all these cities and state governments, they have, you know, different types of ISSOs and CISOs and, and people that are very security focused. And so you need to work with them because they're going to have whatever standards they adopted plus their internal standards. Right. And those, those work together and you need to make sure that you're fitting the product to their standards. And that goes into our philosophy. We don't push one vendor. We're vendor neutral when it comes to Wi-Fi because of various compliance and use cases and budgets. How many people here, let's say in just here in Indiana would be able to handle a project that's, that's to do with the government? Not very many. Wow. There's other companies that do Wi-Fi, but I haven't seen anything out of them that uh, is very compliance focused. Less than 50. Oh, I'd say less than 10 or five. Yeah. So it's kind of, it can be a unique niche, but now that local and state governments are getting much more stringent with their security standards, it's more important than ever. Uh, we've all seen, and this, this is more is in the cybersecurity realm, but we've seen the reports in the last couple of years where certain cities have been hit with uh, ransomware attacks and paid very large ransoms to get their data back. More and more every week. Right. And, and you know, and that goes into the whole strategy. And that's why you need somebody that not only is uh, familiar with compliance, but also knows how to work with the, the ISSOs and the CISSOs or CISOs and the people at the state and local agencies and federal agencies that are in charge of securing their organizations. You know, there's like things that I would never do. Like I would never on a network that had any compliance, I would never use a W or WPA2 personal passcode ever, even a long complex one. I would only do it if I had to as part of a network access control appliance also to protect like IOT and things like that. I would never just run a solo PSK. So if there's somebody listening to this right now that is doing it that way. <laughs> don't. Um, Change. There's it. a couple options. If you have an existing wireless network and you have an investment, we could layer your current wireless network with our network access control as a service. If you need something that's even higher level of compliance, like federal standards, we can deploy a private instance of Aruba ClearPass in a FISMA compliant data center and have you use that. But uh, if you're using just WPA2 pass codes, no. I, I don't even trust for guest networks, but anyways, <laughs> um, there's better ways. Uh, we have a couple products that do multi-PSK, which multi-PSK is still a WPA2 personal passcode, but it gives every device a unique passcode. So, so okay, hang on. So uh, I have two devices. Uh, Sandy in accounting has a device. I, I get to log into my own network. You can do it that level of micro segmentation where you could have your own VLAN and your own personal network. But for the most part, you would put if it's a guest network or if it's a even a corporate network, if you're small and you really had to do it this way, each device would have its own unique password. The same firewall policies and rules would be applied to the group. But if you quit, I can revoke your password and not have to change all the passwords on every stinking device. Gotcha. And okay. we can also map the password to one device. So you log in with your phone because that's the passcode that was assigned to your phone. You can't go put that on another device. So each device has its own unique password. Wow. Um, that's kind of like what you'd call a in the middle security, right? If you if you say like the left side of a line is highly unsecure and the right side of the line is very, un, uh, very secure, like WPA2 uh, enterprise level encryption, the multi PSK would fall in the middle. It's not 
It's not easy to hack. It's not um, everybody sharing the same password, but it's not certificate-based EAP TLS, super robust federal standard type encryption. So that could be the right use case for the right people, or it could be use, right use case for, let's say, a um, client uh, employee, bring your own device type network. So it's just an option in the toolbox. It's not always the first option. Depends on your posture, but for oh, doing federal standards, you want EAP TLS, which is WPA2 Enterprise Encryption, which is based on certificates. And you need the right product to do that. And that would be like a Cisco ICE, an Aruba ClearPass, or a Fortinac. And we sell all the above. So so if you are a team member for a federal, state, or local government and, and you have questions or if you're a questions about wireless security and you're like a CISO or a um, ISSO, um, you can just call and talk to me. I mean, I, I can I can shed some light on your problem if you're not you're not going to go with us. But uh, there are, um, you know, some considerations. Wireless is kind of a unique beast sometimes. And uh, if you're not used to it and you don't know, you just don't know. And so I've worked with some great ISSOs that are sticklers for the rules and great at what they do. But, uh, you know, sometimes you need a little help with the, knowing what's out there for wireless because they they understand the controls and what they need to do very well on that side as far as auditing but they don't know how to get it there with the wireless so it's a good synergy if you are an ISSO CISO a CIO or just uh, some type of leader in a, especially state or local government because this is where the biggest gaps are you know you can call me anytime uh, get on my calendar or whatever and, and, and talk about these things because we'd love to help you and, and it doesn't have to be full-blown our Wi-Fi as a service for government we have design services and things in-house we can do a turnkey network for you and train your staff and let you take over. The best results come from a synergy where your local staff handles tier one and maybe tier two, and we handle tier two or tier three, always tier three, but tier two sometimes, depending on the skills of your staff. If you've got just a basic help desk, you're going to want them to do the tier one stuff and handle users and us on the back end, we'll do the tier two and tier three support. So I know I've talked a lot. It gets confusing. You got all these terms, uh, you know, ISSO, FIT, FedRAMP, FISMA, NIST, all this other stuff. But if you want to talk about this stuff, like I said, I, I've been doing federal wireless for I think 15 years. Uh, it's a long time. It's about as long as the federal government's used wireless. <laughs> and I've been really, they've really cracked down the compliance and it's been real compliance heavy since I've been doing heavy compliance work in wireless since about 2012. So I've done it for a minute. I'm familiar with most of the things. And then, um, so if you got questions, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. There's a, there's a lot of options. And, and as a company, we have good relationships with a lot of vendors. We have good relationships with uh, Lifeline Data Center for hosting of compliance solutions and things like that. So um, if you need help, give me a call. Even even if you don't go with us, I, I'll give you 30 minutes just to steer you in the right direction. That's that's no problem. Well, like you said, I mean, you've been saying a lot of different things here today that I'm still trying to catch up with <laughs> writing some of these definitions down, but they are overworked. You know, and they're trying to stay within a certain oh, compliance. Ab absolutely. Uh, your typical your typical ISSO for an organization has a lot of systems and programs on their plate. They need partners to help them. Uh, the, they're, a lot of them are very hardworking people. <laughs> no doubt about that. So uh, you can reach us at 260-408-6605, or you can uh, contact our general support at info at Um, You can read more about our Wi-Fi part 
part of our business at wifiworldwide.com. Um, I do a regular blog post there about various Wi-Fi topics, not just Wi-Fi as a service for government. And there'll be more content coming. Uh, we've got some upcoming um, recordings we'll be doing about some basic things on how to get the most out of your Wi-Fi network, like doing voiceover Wi-Fi and optimizing that so that if you've got cell phone dead spots in your building, no problem. We'll offload all that to Wi-Fi. You can still get your text messages, still make your calls on your cell number, and it's a non-issue. Spoke earlier about the TAA compliant hardware. Oh, we can uh, help. We can help with procurement of TAA compliance hard compliant hardware because we work with vendors that do stock the TAA compliant hardware. And it just is, it has to do with manufacturing standards, like what country, the country of origin and things like that. Like you don't want to be putting cheap commodity Chinese made access points in your government facility because this is real. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party and Huawei puts technology in cheap consumer products that spies on you. This is, it's a real thing. You know, there are people who discount that and stuff like that, but no, it's, it's real. It's something the government's concerned with. And that's why there is TAA. And that's why there is hardware that's procured from uh, trusted vendors and trusted countries. Matter of fact, I mean, people don't understand how deep the TAA compliance goes. You're not even supposed to get cabling from a non-TAA country. Yeah. So it, it has to have that stamp yes, of approval. Yes. And I, re and I was reading a few months ago about it because um, I haven't seen or heard anybody that's got any fines for stuff like that. But yeah, the, the rules go down as much. I mean, you're not supposed to be buying anything like your patch panels and that kind of because like there's things that you could accidentally go cheap on and not be TA compliant. Let's say you deploy switches. Well, you know what the SFP cage is on there, right? The yes. uh, For the fiber modules. Yep. Well, let's say you buy your switches TA compliant from uh, a TA Cisco source or, or Aruba source or whatever. And then you use really cheap Chinese SFP modules because they're one fifth the cost. What's in that fiber module? You just took your whole TAA compliant stack and made it not TA compliant because you stuck a cheap Chinese sourced SFP module in the switch. But I had to stay below budget. Well, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, there's other ways. I mean, if, if you, if you plan out a project, well, you can get the best prices from the vendors by getting the best discounts because you're buying everything at once. But that's something that don't go cheap on because it's, um, it's a quick way to make your TA compliant hardware, not TA compliant. Well, that's where doing things as a service, you get everything wrapped in that is certified. Well, with, with our, as a service, if you go full tilt Wi-Fi as a service. We actually own the hardware. We source it appropriately for your standards. We configure it. We install it. We operate and maintain it at layer or level two and level three support. And we do that all for one monthly subscription price. Now, people say, why do I need that crap, right? Well, if you don't have the Wi-Fi expertise, particularly around Wi-Fi security, you don't know how to do it. And so you need a partner and there's, there's lots of ways we integrate with existing systems. If, if you have compliance requirements and you need logs for everything, we can dump all our firewall logs and all our Wi-Fi access logs to your Splunk server or whatever you're using as your um, intake device. So that's no problem. We're, we're used to doing that. We do that now with a federal client. And so it's not, it's not anything we haven't done before. So don't be afraid to say, I don't need that. I can't do that. Just, just talk to us because we want to make you successful. We want to make you look good. And so if, if you have your own sock and you need to intake all the logs, okay, we won't do the sock service part of it for you. We'll make sure that we are sending all our syslogs for the wireless access points and the wireless controller to your syslog server. And we'll help you discuss and we'll help you set up policies and procedures and how to react to Wi-Fi threats. So we can actually tailor this service to we, what- It has to be tailored. There's too many compliance nuances to not tailor this solution because a state or local government may not have facilities to do sock operations and they may need to outsource it. But some of the 
federal agencies and larger state agencies, they have their own SOCs. And so they need to be able to intake that data and react to it. So it's, we've, we've done all of the above. So it's not a, it's, it's nothing I haven't done before. It's nothing we haven't done before. And uh, we're willing to work with your ISSOs and anybody on your staff to make sure that we meet all your check boxes when it comes to compliance and even added compliance. Like if you have uh, higher internal standards because you may follow a NIST guidelines or something like that, but you may actually have some other controls or, or sometimes you find unique agencies that are like half, like, I don't know, like public private agencies where they have to have two sets of controls because they fall under federal and some type of business standards or something because they're like stuck in the middle. They're like a hybrid operation. Oh, so they actually do government work. There's a few agencies out there that are unique that are public facing that have to meet both certain business requirements and certain federal requirements. Those are unique cases though. But uh, that I wouldn't be surprised if you cross that with certain states. Can agencies. we help companies like that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're familiar with financial standards. We're familiar with federal standards. The ISSO that has their controls spelled on stuff, I can I can meet their controls. So it's I'm not worried about anything I haven't seen. I've seen most things like most of the federal standards and most of the financial standards and HIPAA and things like that. Because also things like medical entities, right? If it's a state-run medical agency, they probably have to comply with HIPAA and and state or federal standards. Right. So so yeah. that's where you were talking about the, the different, where two different standards meet. I can't really drop agency names, but I know of other agencies that have to um, meet standards on two sides of the house because of that reason. So can I give you $5 to spill the tea or no? no? <laughs> well, I, we do not do work for this agency, but I know the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation is one of those. They have to meet banking standards and federal standards. So yeah, you can leave that one in, but, uh, they're, uh, they're, they have a unique, unique use case in their unique agency. And because they have one foot in the banking center sector and one foot in the federal sector, they have to meet both. So you guys have heard it here. I mean, we're one of probably 10 companies in Indiana. That I help. bet, I bet there's not five. Okay. I hate to throw people under bus. I hate to be negative, but your typical company that says they do Wi-Fi says that they do Wi-Fi designs. They won't even try to do network access control. They'll say, here's your password. Lots of luck. Well, the problem around that is, is, I mean, if you have a long enough, complex enough password, it's not that easy to crack. And so it takes brute force attack a really long time. The problem is, is that they get written on whiteboards and sticky notes and passed around and John quits. So John still has access to your corporate network because he was using his personal device mm. and, you, and you never change the password. Right, right. Or somebody else gets fired, right? Jane gets fired. And well, Jane gets fired, Jane's angry. She still has a password to your network because you didn't change the password. Ugh. Do you want angry people with access to your network? No. So Jane pulls up in the parking lot and logs in, I mean, logs in and starts messing with stuff, you know? So <laughs> and that, but that goes into the controls. Like when we talk about these controls and it doesn't matter if this is HIPAA or federal or whatever, there's controls people put in place so that when somebody does quit or is terminated, that you can revoke their access to everything. They usually have some type of single sign on or whatever, and you can revoke their password and that's their password for everything. It'd be the password for O365 and for, or for Google workspaces or um, whatever your internal apps are. But right. that's why people use SSOs. SSO applications are so, employee only has to remember one password and it's easy to revoke their access. And in network access control services, we can do that too. If we're using a certificate-based authentication and an employee is uh, let go, we can revoke that certificate. And you don't have to change the password and everybody's stuff. You don't change everybody's certificates. You just don't have to worry about it. And for that medium space we talked about, multi-PSK, we can do the same thing. We can revoke the password for only that user 
and then we don't have to worry about changing everybody's password. How often do all of these standards change? Like if we're in the middle of helping someone. They evolve, but it's not, it's not like constantly. I mean, they usually drop revisions, you know, once a year or so. Um, Are we on top of that or does the client usually have to call us? We're, we're on top of that. The only thing that they would have to talk to us about is if they changed any internal standard. Because you can add to, if you adopt a, a federal standard or a state standard, you can add to it, but you can't take away. So if gotcha. you add okay. extra compensation controls or you decide your ISSO decides they're going to, you're going to require, uh, let's say your password standard was 24 characters and now you're going to require 28. Obviously you have to tell us because you changed an internal standard, but you didn't change the, the federal standard or the state standard. Now the standard for federal for Wi-Fi access is uh, WPA2 enterprise, which means certificates or there's some other things you can do, but not pre-shared keys, not even multi pre-shared keys. Now you could get, uh, you could do a, um, risk assessment and a risk memo and do a waiver on using like multi PSK for IOT. But uh, I wouldn't even do that. I would use a good network access control appliance for your IOT policy, which you're still gonna have a password, but yet you're gonna have another layer behind the scenes that will take that device, whatever it is, smart thermostats, in building environmental sensors, it'll categorize what it is, put it in a bucket that has rules where it can only get to what it absolutely needs to because we talked about this in the previous podcast if an iot device since it's not patched for security updates, is exploited it could be used as a sniffer on your network so if you have a building sensor let's say it's environmental sensor temperature or humidity or whatever you want it to only go to that server that needs to understand that sensor it may not even need access to the internet or if you use a cloud service you only want it to go to that ip or url in the cloud and if you don't let it to anywhere else and you don't let anything else in the odds of exploited are very low. So that's, that's how you kind of contain IOT and, and you need to have policies for that. And it, we can help write policy. If you're a local state or local government and you don't have an IOT policy, even federal, I wrote standards for federal stuff. We can write a policy for you. We can help you author a policy so that you are, you have a way to onboard these devices in a way that makes sense for your security posture and make sure that all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed for compliance. So I can bring in my Alexa and you can write a policy for that? No. <sighs> Come on. Part of my policy would be no Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, change his mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think any agency's ever going to allow Alexa. She's so handy though. Uh, you know what? I think I think um, phones and um, Siri is a big vulnerability in a network. But. Wow. All right. Well, that's a topic for another show, but I just, hey, when you said that, I was like, man, I would well, love to bring in my Alexa. I have been places where the security posture is so stringent that even if they had Wi-Fi, you're not allowed your cell phone. Wow. So it's You'd have to be a trusted device. It's only allowed in that facility. Gotcha. So, well, if someone wants to jump on your calendar for 30 minutes, how do they, how do they get a hold of you? Casey's going to put a link to my Calendly below this podcast and you can hop on there or you can um, find me on LinkedIn. Follow me there. Um, my contact information is is public on LinkedIn. Philip Tanner, the guy that says founder of Mojili Networks, that's the right one. I'm not the Dallas Cowboys football player or anything like that. So um, <laughs> does he still play for Dallas? You know, I don't know. Oh, well. I'd ask Alexa, but she's not here with uh, me. You know, but anyways, <laughs> um, no, I, I I like to help people with this stuff. I mean, uh, cybersecurity and Wi-Fi security kind of like a passion of mine. So even if you're small and uh, we're not a good fit for you, I'd like to give you a couple tidbits to get you the right direction. Like if you're, let's say this isn't in government compliance, but let's say you're, you don't have budget, right? You got a Wi-Fi network and you don't have budget. 
The number one thing you can do is to set a suitably complex WPA2 personal passcode, which according to CWNP is minimum of 24 characters long. Don't use any dictionary words in that passcode. No dictionary words? Yes. You don't want to use a full word like say, uh, I love my dog or something. You know, <laughs> you, you want to have mixed characters and things. So, you know, you can substitute O's for zeros and different stuff, but you want it to be messy looking so that it's not something that can be done with it because there's this is we do this with ethical hacking but if you're trying to hack a wi-fi network the first thing they're going to do is run an attack versus about a two million uh password list that's common stuff people use and they're going to run against that and if it's anything like that that consists of dictionary words usually break in a couple minutes but if you have a 24 character really complex password even if you have a ton of compute power it could take years to crack that password if you do that that'll get you you know a base level of security and of course you want to have separate VLANs for your corporate and your guest network. And the number two thing is, is to change your password. So if you don't have budget and you do your 24 character complex password, every time someone quits or gets fired, change the password. And I would recommend changing it once a quarter, once a even quarter. if somebody doesn't term get terminated or quit. And that's because then they don't have the time to do a brute force attack because they have your by the time they figure it out, that's valid for the old password, not the one you just changed it to. So Now, does it make it easier for them to break the new password if they're familiar with what your old password was, if it was that complex? No, because your new password should be complex and random. But people are lazy. They usually end in 2021. When it turns 2022, they just change the year. <laughs> You're right. And that's why I said, don't do anything with dictionary words and things like that. Yeah, and don't yeah. do anything with repeating characters. Like a lot of people like to do a shift one, two, three, which is exclamation at and pound. Right. Uh, so they'll end in that. And so those kind of things, and those do make anything predictive patterns like that, make it easier to crack because if not, you have to resort to a brute force attack, which is trying every password combination. Uh, gotcha. And the absolute worst thing you can do is to leave that Wi-Fi router or access point that you got from your cable company or fiber company or whatever you installed for Best Buy on its default password because they're usually limited in character sets. Oh, yeah. So they're really easy to brute force because you just took out all the special characters and all that stuff and you might only be lowercase and zero through nine. So you eliminated all the uppercase characters and all the special characters. So you just eliminated billions of password combinations. Wow. Just like that. Just like that. Just like so that. So if you're extremely limited in budget, that's some real basic security. But if you're more than 10, 15 employees, you might need to find some budget. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you're going to need to do something because all it takes is one cyber incident to bankrupt company. It's bad. It's on the rise. It's it is. on the rise. People don't realize how. And we had a podcast for last season where we talked about Maze Ransomware and Ransomware Service. They do it in such a way now that uh, backups aren't enough and they explode your data it, it's bad you have to prevent the stuff from happening and so i don't want anything bad to happen to anybody so that's why i said even if you're you got low budget no budget call me i'll give you some helpful tips we'll try to take care as best we can um then when you if you grow and you're ready give us a call we'd love your business so that's right so there you go if, if you're dealing with anything that has to do with the government uh give give philip a call and we'll get you set up on his calendar and because this goes into we're talking about all these things, all these controls and stuff like that. And I don't know, Casey told me not to do it, but there's something new I want to start saying is that uh, Wi-Fi is the network. Quit building big wire, uh, wired networks. Everybody wants Wi-Fi access anyways. Build you a really awesome, secure, robust Wi-Fi network. Well, it's weird with, with the whole Wi-Fi thing. It, to, to me, it's just something that has always been. 
It's like when I plug in a router from Best Buy, it's just my Wi-Fi. It's just how I connect. I Most people don't go in and figure out that there's controls within the Wi-Fi to make it work more consistent. And they work, they work hand in hand with the same kind of controls used on the wired network too. Um, it's just that there's a few different things to consider and different threats because even though it can be sniffed, you don't count on people listening on your network. You don't count on people clamping something onto the cable to listen to the what's going through that cable. So you have to protect the stuff that's over the air and then you need suitable levels of encryption and then you need suitable access controls to make sure that you know what the device is on your network and who's behind that device and that meets those kind of things meet the requirements for most use cases because you need to know who's doing what that, that way if anything bad does happen and you do an audit and you figure it out you can link it to the device or the user that did the, the incident it's um it's not as intimidating or scary as it sounds it's just uh particularly with issos for state local and federal Sometimes they just need a little nudge. These are, they're smart people. Most of them have um, CISSP certification, stuff like that. They know all these controls. They just may not know how it applies to Wi-Fi. Like I said, I've known some really hardworking ISSOs. It's not an easy job. So if, if you get on my calendar, like I said, I'll give anybody 30 minutes of, of free advice or free time or, or whatever you need. And then um, if you are interested in any of our products and services, we can go from there. You heard it here first. Wi-Fi is the network. Wi-Fi is the network. Thanks for listening to the Mogility Networks podcast. We sure do appreciate it. And we hope you got a lot of value out of this cast.